Welcome to Top Advisor Marketing, where you will learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your practice. Brought to you by Top Advisor Podcasting, a done-for-you podcasting solution built just for trusted advisors. And now, your co-hosts of Top Advisor Marketing, Kirk Lowe and Matt Halloran. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. Uh, many of you know already because of all of the guests that we've had on that uh, Top Advisor Marketing is very, very interested into making sure that we promote diversity and inclusion and also giving you an opportunity to find out new niches to market in or niches to market in that can be not only very, very profitable, but also can make you truly make a difference in your community. And today, our guest is Michelle Waymeyer. She is a financial advisor and financial coach. And today, we are going to dive into a very specific niche that she focuses on that is a magnificent group of people to work with and can be very profitable, but even better, can do something that a lot of other people do, which is not pay attention to this specific niche. So, uh, Michelle, welcome to the show. Hi, it's so great to be here. So here's the deal, right? So we have had a podcast guest on that have talked about the LGBTQ market, right? And it still amazes me that people don't understand the opportunity here to make a difference in this community's life. Why did you choose to work, especially because you don't just work with LGBTQ, you actually work with young people, which is almost the antithesis, Michelle, of what most advisors go after. So tell us why. Yeah. So I think a lot of advisors, when you're first getting started out, and this was certainly true for me as well, you work with what you know, you work with who you're passionate about. And for me, being young and being queer, it felt so right that I get to serve the people who I think are not normally served by traditional financial services. I think there's a big gap there. I was seeing that in my life. I was seeing that among my friends. And so to really step up and serve that niche is something that I'm very, very passionate about. Let's define some terms here because you just used the term queer. And I think I would love to have people have a better understanding of the operational definition of this because we hear, you know, LGBTQ plus, right? We hear that often, but I don't necessarily think our listeners would be able to understand when and if or how to choose the right word if that was appropriate in conversation. Would you mind just backing us up historically a little bit or how you look at each of those terminologies? Absolutely. So I think when you're breaking down the acronym here, we understand pretty easily the first four letters, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and then oftentimes you see the Q on the end and that's queer. And for many people, queer comes from a place of uh, maybe more of a reclaimed slur. So for example, we're not used to hearing the word queer in everyday vernacular, and yet a lot of people identify as such. So I think that's one of the tricky things about working with the LGBTQ market is that a lot of it is self-identified. I've known people who are bisexual and they also identify as lesbians, or they might identify as gay. There might be very straight transgender people. Uh, there might be people who identify as queer lesbians. And so it's not a one-size-fits-all word from the, from the standpoint of you have to fit very neatly into one of these letter buckets. 
But I think as an advisor, knowing the broad array of terms that are out there will allow you to be more open-minded when your client might self-identify as any one of those terms or as multiple of those terms, as the case may be. Does that answer your question? It does very, very well. Thank you very much for that. And I think, and to support what you're saying here, I think we get so hung up on labels that we don't understand that it isn't black and white, that it is actually a, a wonderful rainbow of colors where uh, people can, even in their cycle of life, move in and out between identifying in different ways. So please don't get hung up, but be sensitive to the terminology. And you can ask, uh, and it is okay to ask as long as you're coming from a place of being considered. Is that a fair statement? I think that's true. And I think leaving the language really open, if you're willing to ask about that, to say, how do you identify? How can I better understand your life so that I can serve you better? I think coming at that question from a place of service and understanding can, can be 100% appropriate if, if that's your, your mindset. Nice. I hope people wrote that down. You just said that really, really well. Can you actually say that again? Yeah. I think it's always okay to ask somebody how they identify if you're doing so from a place of service and of open-mindedness okay, to understand fun. them better. Oh, that was brilliant. Oh, goodness gracious. You all need to write that down. That, that was our golden nugget for today. So, Michelle, thank you. No, I'm kidding. We're, we're going to keep going. But uh, that was really awesome. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Okay. How do you, so, so a niche is a niche is a niche most of the time, right? But, but when you're working with the LGBTQ plus community, you also want to make sure that it is a safe space for them to actually have a real relationship with you. I mean, just like everybody else, because as a financial advisor, right, Michelle, you want your clients to come in and sit down and feel calm, feel like they can trust you. What are the differences that you have seen in working with the LGBTQ community that other advisors in other niches might not have to pay attention to or do to successfully work with them as clients? Absolutely. So the process you have to understand starts with your marketing. So your marketing, what you're putting out into the world is a representation of your brand. And somebody who's coming into your social media, somebody who's coming into your website, that's their first taste of whether or not that experience is going to be inclusive to their needs and to their family structure. So it starts with the website. Are your pictures inclusive? Are you showing traditional white male and female couples? Or are you showing diverse types of bodies, diverse types of gender expression, diverse types of relationship styles? Are there two men holding hands on your website? Are there two women holding hands on your website? Is that something that you're open to? So LGBT people, when they're looking at that marketing output in the world, they're looking for those visual cues that say, it's okay for me to be honest about who I am in this space. No matter your niche, people should be able to look, just like Michelle said, at your website, at your marketing material, and identify as I am that client. And we've talked about that a lot on the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast in previous episodes, but it is vitally important. You know, Michelle, we were talking before. We, For those of you who haven't been a guest on the show, uh, I have a whole pregame thing that I go through to make sure that I set clear expectations. And one of the things that I was explaining is our demographic, right? Uh, who listens to the podcast? 
And uh, if I go on to another advisor's website where there are two old, white, gray-haired people walking on a beach, I swear to God, I'm going to punch my computer screen. Because first off, that that is a stock image that is way overused. But also, is that really all you work with? I mean, you don't have any people of color. You don't have any people from other areas of the world. You don't have any other people you know, with, with, with different preferences. And I, it just amazes me uh, that that is how people have been represented in marketing. But I I have to challenge you, Michelle, because here's the deal. It's freaking hard to find diverse and inclusive pictures. Do you have any advice on that? Yeah. So there are a couple of good sites that offer free stock pictures that you might consider checking out. Unsplash is one of them. And Pexels, like the word pixels, but with an E, is another one thing that you'll also find when you're using either of those websites is that if you're searching something, for example, lesbian couple holding hands, you'll get a number of hits on the free website. And then underneath it, almost always will be a paid ad for something like Shutterstock. So if you're not finding what you want from a free website, if you're really, really committed to diversity and inclusion, you might need to pony up $27 to get an inclusive picture for your website. So it's not always easy to find something for free, but there's definitely no shortage of well-made stock photography that is diverse and beautiful. I've spent a bunch of time on Shutterstock and, and when I type in things like, you know, older couple or retired couple, it always seems to be, you know, those same stock images. So adding those qualifying words, those specific words to your target demographic, your ideal client, when you close your eyes and you say, if this person or these people walked into my office and they said this, did this, wanted this, I would be happy that's who you want to market to, right? That's absolutely uh, a great way to control your marketing. And I want to pause here for a minute because I don't think people understand this, Michelle, that you have control. You have a choice over who you market to. You've made this choice in your career. Other financial services professionals have to give themselves the permission to do this because, one, it's going to make you happier as a human being, but also make it so you don't feel like you're going to work every day. You're going to hang out with people who are like you, who have the same interests, who truly want your help. Now, you call yourself a financial advisor and financial coach, and you also work with younger people. I'm going to ask you a difficult question. Well, it might not be difficult, but how is this profitable, right? I mean, it seems to me, you know, the, the younger people have less assets. If you, I don't know how you charge, but would you mind breaking it down from an actual business perspective on how you're able to keep your doors open working with younger people specifically? Absolutely. As advisors, I feel like we're often entrenched into this classic AUM-based model. So in order to serve somebody profitably, they have to have a lot of money coming in the door to make it worth your time. There are a lot of newer models, most of which are based on flat fee type work or subscription-based work, things like uh, XYPN Network's monthly subscription fee model that I think can be quite profitable for younger people, for folks who are admittedly making really good money and are just not quite at the point where their asset base has caught up to that success. So looking to diversify your fee model can really move yourself away from the AUM work putting in options such as that subscription fee can keep the lights on while keeping things profitable. And it might open you up to new forms of revenue, new target audiences that you didn't think were possible, while at the same time, 
creating a lot more consistency in your regular cash flow. One of the downsides, I think, of the AUM model is most of us bill quarterly. So you've got eight months out of the year where things might be a little bit lower, and then all of a sudden you get this bigger influx of cash. With something like a monthly subscription model, you can actually smooth those cash flows out over time and create a lot of consistency in your business. So I think, you know, it's good for clients, but it's also good for you as an advisor to consider those other forms of working with people. All men to that. I uh, I love, we had Alan Moore on our podcast a little while ago, and he was talking about the how they firmly believe, and I think anybody under the age of probably 35 who is entering into the fi- into financial services are really truly looking at that subscription-based model. We all have grown up with Netflix and subscription-based things, and it just that's just another monthly fee that we get value from. Now, but let's talk about the flip side of this because there are some amazing statistics out there, uh, especially from from LGBTQ plus couples and their level of disposable income and their passionate desire to manage their finances uh, in a very, very good proactive way so that they can leave a legacy that they want to leave. How many clients like that are you getting where you're just sitting there and kind of have a smile on your face like, wow, uh, you guys have saved a lot of money. Oh, for sure. I've absolutely worked with those clients. I mean, I've seen folks coming out of the Bay Area, classic LGBTQ couples who are both making easily high six figures and then pulling down a million dollars in stock options. I mean, they're those profitable, like classically profitable clients are also out there in that community too. What are the biggest concerns that you have found that you address on a regular basis with this niche? I think it's a few things. The first is really creating a safe space for those identities. And I know this doesn't really fall under classic investment management or financial planning type work, but even before we're getting down to the nitty gritty of insurance needs or estate planning or anything like that, we're talking through some of the bigger issues about the, the mindset behind money and what it means to be an LGBTQ American as an income earner. It's wise not to assume anything from the get-go. So for example, if you're talking about money, you might be considering their partner or spouse or how they're managing finances as a couple. So while traditional models would focus on what is the role of the husband, what is the role of the wife? When we're working with LGBTQ clients, we want to assume that there's no set relationship dynamic that we want to fall into. So really, even from the beginning, taking time to understand how does money work for you? How, what is your relationship to money? What was your background growing up? What's your relationship with your parents? You know, we can't take for granted that many LGBTQ folks have a good relationship with family in the same way we might assume that there's some sort of generational wealth transfer with other high net worth clients. We kind of have to start from the beginning and build up those identities and build up those understandings of those relationships with one another and with money. Then in terms of planning issues specifically, a few main themes come up. So making sure that their their financial strategy as a couple is solid, even if they choose not to get married. Here's the thing. Marriage equality is great. It's awesome. I'm so glad that we have it. But not everybody wants to get married. And that's true across the board for classic 
cisgender hetero couples. It's also true for some LGBTQ couples. Not everybody wants to get married. So what can you do from a planning standpoint? How are you looking at the tax situation? How are you looking at an estate plan? If there are uh, biological or adoptive kids involved, how are you making sure that you're planning for their future, maybe outside of the classic, we are legally married and now my estate goes to my spouse as soon as something happens to us. So really making sure that you're building up those layers of protection, no matter what their relationship style looks like and no matter whether they choose to get legally married or not. There is so much there, Michelle, that I just wish advisors would do naturally. Uh, asking those questions, uh, having the real discussion about their relationship to money, uh, having a relation or a conversation about legacy, inheritance, and not taking things for granted, but allowing your client to sit and talk in a comfortable environment, a safe environment that allows them to open up. Because we all know that the more we can get our clients to open up about life, not just their financial situation, the better financial advisor we can be. Now, we have said on this podcast many, many times that being you, being your authentic self is going to make you a better marketer because you're going to be more passionate. You're going to be more real. You're going to be more truthful and people are going to have a better way to connect with you. How has being out and proud about being out helped you in your brand and your marketing? That's a great question. So my financial services experience, I actually started at a mutual fund company first before becoming a financial advisor. And when I made that transition to serving individuals and families, at the time I was working with another advisory firm out of Knoxville, Tennessee. Before I came on board with them, I actually sent my, my boss an email and I said, look, here's the deal. I identify as queer. I am bisexual. I'm actually in an alternative relationship structure. And I'm not saying this because I want to feel like I'm giving you too much information about my personal life. But at the same time, for me, a healthy workplace is one where I don't have to hide. I'm not going to pretend that I'm married to a man. I'm not going to pretend like I'm, you know, classic and straight. And, you know, if that's your vibe, that's awesome. But I'm not here to pretend anymore. I'm just not here for that. And I was very grateful at the time that my boss came back to me and said, that's absolutely fine. Thank you for letting me know. And I told him, look, this is an underserved audience. These are folks who need help. These are folks who have money. And if we can create a safe space for these types of clients, it's good for everybody. But in order to do that, I want to be out and I want to be open so that I can start to create that safe space and let them know, hey, it's okay to talk about this because I'm right here with you. We're in this together. So I was grateful to originally have a boss who was accepting of this. And as a result, I was able to put things on my website that I explicitly serve LGBT clients. And Thinking about my social media, I think my approach is very similar. I am explicit about the fact that I am out. I post about my partners. I post about my life. And I use hashtags on Instagram specifically that draw attention to the fact that I'm an LGBT advisor, queer money, 
all of that good stuff, proud bisexual, whatever, whatever the case may be. Because again, I want people to feel really safe looking at my Instagram and know that they can comment, they can message me, they can talk to me about issues, not just with their money, but maybe also in how, how those relationships impact their money. So for me, you know, it's just vital that I be myself online and I think it's worked out really well with attracting people who who feel safe talking about their own LGBT journey with me. Well, let's talk about marketing because this is a marketing podcast and you just opened a door and I'm going to walk right through it. What Come do you do? What do you do? I mean, you talked about Instagram. I, there are very few financial services professionals on Instagram. What do you do? So how do you get your voice out into the marketplace? How do you rise above all of the misinformation that's out there? And how do you make it so that you're not whispering into the void, that you're speaking directly to your ideal client? For me, I think the marketing does start with the website. And we talked a little bit about that. But the website is kind of the hub of my online activity. Everything I do outside of my website, my goal is to lead people back there. Everything else I do, it's breadcrumbs, leading people back to my website, because my website is where they can read about my services in depth. It's where they can sign up for my email newsletter. It's where I've got my lead generation tool popping up, which by the way, has a sassy name. It's very fun. If you don't love curse words, you probably won't love my website, in fact. So, you know, beyond the website then, uh, all of those little breadcrumbs across social media channels. I've got Facebook. I've got a Facebook group that I maintain. I tweet occasionally and post on LinkedIn sometimes. But then recently, in fact, one of my big 2020 goals has actually been to grow my Instagram presence. And that's something that I do by posting almost every single day. I am making sure that the images I select are diverse, inclusive, interesting to look at, appropriate for my target audience, and that I'm coming alongside those images with captions that are either witty or illuminating, and then kind of closing that out with a large series of hashtags. So Instagram is a very hashtag-based medium from the standpoint of um, it's a great way to get people to sort of cross-pollinate among all of their various interests. So as a financial advisor, I'm using all of the usual hashtags, money, budgeting, success, entrepreneurship, whatever, you name it. But then it's also an opportunity to reach out and try and pull in some audiences who might not be looking at the money hashtag, but they're looking at self-care or inspiration, or minimalism. So you can kind of use these mediums to really get in there and talk about what your niche is interested in, but also try and take a, take a step outside what you'd normally be talking about to pull in folks who might be also interested in what you have to say, but haven't quite realized it yet. Do you use any tools? So let, let's let's get to take this one step deeper. Uh, do you use any sort of social media tools to help you uh, get things out on multiple platforms? Do you do it all from your phone? Do you do it from your computer? Uh, do you dedicate a very like a, in your morning coffee or tea or breakfast? Is that when you do it? Can can you take this uh, down one notch and give us a little bit more insight in how you communicate? Absolutely. For me, I found that a weekly content calendar is the best way to get things organized and ready to go for a shorter period of time. I think with the coronavirus and our current political climate, a lot of social media posts, we've kind of had to take it on more of a shorter scale, just because there's so much more impacting the news, impacting the tone that we're using. 
weekly strikes the balance between not having to do it every day, but also not planning so far out in advance that your content is obsolete by the time it's hitting your newsfeed. So every Monday I sit down and I take a look and see what's going on in the world, what I want to talk about, what I'm interested in. And I try and balance that mix of personal insights with money tips, statistics, quotes, things that I think will be useful for people on their financial journey. And so I have a calendar template that I use every week. Every day kind of has a theme to help keep me on track or keep me inspired. And so I put all of that stuff together in a Google sheet. It doesn't have to be fancy, y'all. You can really use a, a good old classic spreadsheet to do the bulk of the writing work. And then for the scheduling tool, I found that some of the analytics are a little bit more robust if you're using a native platform. So going directly through the, the creator tool on Facebook allows me to schedule and post things through Instagram and Facebook, specifically through their platform. And I can't prove this. I don't know that this is 100% true, but I have heard the whispers that if you're posting more natively, those posts are going to get more eyeballs than things that are coming out through like, Hootsuite or Buffer, which are other really popular social media scheduling tools. So this way, I'm sort of, again, bridging the divide between keeping things really efficient, but also using the tools that those platforms are going to prioritize more than anything else. Michelle, you know, I, pre I prepare for these podcasts as, as much as I possibly can. And I usually feel like I ask good questions, but, but my favorite question to ask is, what should I have asked you? Right? Did I miss something? Is there something I, I should have had you talk about that we didn't talk about today? I have, I have a soapbox that I want to bring to this podcast just for a very short minute. And that's the, the issue of pronouns in the financial planning space. So can I, can I take a second? Oh, heck yeah. Go. That? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Awesome. So for me, you know, growing up in a society where gender is kind of a given, we've got man and we've got woman. We've got male, we've got female. That's the classic paradigm. And a lot of people don't know that that doesn't tell the whole story. And if you're going to work with the LGBT community, and I would argue uh, young people in general, because I think young people are, are much more attuned to this, you kind of have to understand the, the idea of pronouns. So again, in the classic world, if you're a woman, you will, your pronouns would be she and her. She went to the store. Um, men, he, him, he went to the store, right? There are all kinds of other pronouns that get used by people, and it's worth, one, never assuming what pronoun somebody uses, and two, leaving the door open for people to discuss that openly with you. If you are working with queer people, if you are working with transgender people, anybody in the LGBT spectrum, pronouns are really important. So I always ask people's pronouns on my intake form. I do it for my intro calls. When people book an intro call with me through Calendly, it'll ask, what pronouns do you use? And if I'm doing a planning intake form or an investment management intake form, I'll ask, what is your legal gender, male or female? Because oftentimes you might need that information to open an account for somebody. But then I'll also ask, what pronouns do you use? And you will be surprised at how many people given the opportunity and given an open space to do so, will say something other than what you anticipated. So they might say she, her, or they, them. They might have what are called neo-pronouns, which are a little bit outside of the classic he, her, they. 
but really being open-minded with however people want to be referred to can really make a huge difference in showing that you are committed to an LGBT inclusive practice. That was an awesome soapbox. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'll step off now, but <laughs> it was important for me to talk about. Yeah, you know, uh, and, and so I'm I'm going to uh, put this in the cis world very quickly, which is. Uh, I, I, I was spent a lot of time, well, not a lot of time. I spent time in the service. So I have always used sir or ma'am. That's just, it's like a natural thing for me that, that I've luckily broken. But before I broke it, you would be amazed at how many straight women would get very, very frustrated if I called them ma'am. Right. So it is super duper important to have these questions because it, it is something that just shows that you care and that you want to communicate with them in a way that makes the most sense to whoever you're communicating with. So, Michelle, that was freaking awesome. All right. Is there anything if you could give anybody a piece of advice like, hey, you know, read this book, listen to this podcast, watch this TED talk. Um, is there anything that you think that uh, you would like to kind of leave us with today so that our audience can uh, maybe take some action after listening to you? I think what I would encourage people to do, honestly, is to do some research and be open-minded about what you find. There is no shortage of good resources that explain gender versus sexuality versus um, versus biological sex. Um, you can find any number of primers on how to use pronouns correctly, how to pronounce things. And, you know, do do that research, take some time and learn a little bit about a group of people that might not look or think or act like you, and, and be open minded about that process. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised to find that LGBT humans are in fact human. And we're, we're like anybody else. We want, uh, we want to be loved and respected. We want financial abundance. We want a sense of security. We want to take care of the people we love. And if you're on board with all of that, being open-minded about that process might lead you to work with a group of people who, is, who are fun and interesting and, and profitable for your business. And with that, uh, we're going to wrap up today's podcast. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. And if you have any guest ideas, make sure you email me or want to know more about who we are and what we do at Top Advisor Marketing. Email me at Matt at Top Advisor M. Make sure that you follow Michelle on social media, especially Instagram. What is your Instagram? Yeah, my Instagram handle is at the young scrappy. I would love if you gave me a follow. That is my big goal for 2020. And I uh, hope to hope to see you on the gram, as nice. it were. Nice. See, I don't use Instagram. I didn't even remember that it was called a handle. So I, I'm showing my uh, ignorance on Instagram there. I'm a consumer of Instagram. I don't really post a lot there. But I do know that it is a magnificently powerful business tool. And I also know... And I feel very powerful about passionate about this, which is Instagram's algorithm like knows you better than any other algorithm and is going to put ads and everything in front of you that are actually applicable to who you are. And so that also means that, you know, it's a little bit different of an algorithm than Facebook. So make sure that you're on there, especially if you're trying to go after uh, a younger audience. They live on Instagram. It's the most effective way to communicate. That's how they communicate and want to be communicated to. Because remember, marketing is fundamentally changed. You have to market to your ideal client and prospect in the medium they prefer while they're there with organic content. If you follow that phrase, if you're going to focus on any niche or niche, you have to make sure that you're following that phrase that I just had. So Michelle, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. That was very fun. We will all see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Are you ready to change the way you communicate with your clients? 
Are you tired of being the best kept secret in your area? Learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your business. Contact us today and see what the power of podcasting can do for your business. Click on the Contact Us link on our website at topadvisormarketing.com and set up a call to learn more. Follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook for more updates and information. This was brought to you by iris.xyz, a platform helping financial professionals become better in business and life through new media and new voices. Visit them and learn more at iris.xyz.